This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org. We haven't met. I'm Jeremy, one of the pastors here at the Axis, and uh, I invite you to go ahead and uh, grab a Bible or your device and and find Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And as you turn, I do want to say Happy Mother's Day. Um, I love my mama. I'm a mama's boy. And that doesn't mean that we get along perfectly. Um, That is a story of everyone who has a mom and everyone who has a kid. You know that kids have parent issues and parents have kid issues, okay? Um, But that means that we're in family together trying to figure it out a day at a time. Um, But I love my mama. Um, I'm uh, thankful that I was able to know all four of my great-grandmas. My final great-grandmother went to be with Jesus just a couple years ago, a few years ago at age 108. Um, So it was really neat that my my kids, all four of my kids, got to know their great-great-grandmother. Um, and seeing 100 and 105 years, uh, 100 and 104 years between my great-grandmother and Elsie Grace, our youngest one, seeing over a century between those two was such a powerful, magical moment. Um, man, it was just incredible. Um, I, I did not get to meet my mother's uh, mother. Um, she, she died in 75 of uh, cancer, uh, age 44. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so Mother's Day has always been kind of heavy for us in our home growing up. Um, it was bittersweet, um, but I did, uh, I did know my dad's mom uh, really well, and as many of you all have heard, uh, she passed away yesterday. Um, it's uh, 23 hours ago, so she's been in heaven with Jesus for 23 hours, y'all. Uh, think about that. Like the last 23 hours, our life has been what it is, but hers has been with Jesus. Uh, it's pretty radical, y'all. Um, and this is the hope of, of every Christian. Um, but I do ask that you pray for our family, pray for my dad. He's the only child. Um, he's, he's having a, a significant struggle with this. And, uh, and also pray for my papa. They've been married for 67 years, 67 years. And, uh, he, he told me yesterday on the phone, he wept, he wept and wept and wept on the phone. And uh, I've, I've never heard him cry like that. And, uh, and he said, Jeremy, I just always thought, 67 years marriage. He said, Jeremy, I just always thought we would have a little bit more time together. 67 years and still wanting to have more time. Um, and if you don't know our story, for the last 18 years, she's had dementia. For the last 10 years, she hasn't had an original thought that we know of. And he is just absolutely in love with her. He just cannot get enough of my mama. Just loves her, loves her. And he just said, I just wish we had a little bit more time together. I thought we'd have that. Um, man, he just wept when my dad walked in the room um, and told him that his bride is now with the true and better groom, Jesus. Uh, but what a comfort it is to know that. And so do pray for my dad, pray for my grandpa, pray for our family as we're figuring out the funeral and and what that looks like there in Virginia, but she's going to be buried and have the service down in North Carolina where my grandpa uh, paid for the plots and everything in advance. He he knew very well that he was going to die. He's planned this for years, for decades, and uh, he's taken care of it financially, and uh, it's something he never feared. He never feared death. He never feared the the death of his wife. They they mourn it in certain ways, of course, when they think about it, but um, he... They're with Jesus. He's, he's, he's going to be with Jesus very, very soon. 
And he's not afraid to tell you that. He's actually bragging about it. Um, he loves it. He loves it. He loves the idea of death. Um, it's not morbid. It's the hope of the Christian. Um, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of God and Christ in me. Um, well, happy Mother's Day. Again, I love my mama. Uh, she was my first friend. I didn't really have a choice about it. Um, <clears throat> but she loved me and I loved her. She taught me how to work without quitting. She, she taught me how uh, you're not working unless you're sweating. That's why I carry a black sweat towel almost everywhere I go. Uh, she taught me how to push through even when things were tough and, and seemed impossible. She taught me how to play basketball and use a shovel, trim hedges and, and plant gardens and fold clothes and care for other people. Uh, she taught me and gave me understanding of what encouragement is and what hospitality looks like. So if you've ever come to my home, if you've ever enjoyed a meal in my place, that's reflective of what my mom has, has taught me. She sacrificed her comfort and joy for my comfort and for my joy. This is what moms do, though. This is just everyday life. And most moms do it with little to no thanks, with little to no attention. Um, and let me say here, as, as, as your pastor, one of your pastors, um, I know that many of you all um, I know a lot of your stories, not all of your stories, but I know a lot of your stories. I know that for, for many in this room, uh, you have significant issues with your parents, um, perhaps with your mom. And I ask that you work hard to honor your father and your mother. You don't graduate out of that, okay? Uh, when you reach the age of 21, that doesn't ex uh, cause you to be exempt from this command. Honor your mother and try to do so more than once a year. Encourage them, thank them, give grace to them. And I say that because I used to be really hard on my mom. Um, and as I raised kids, I realized, man, she did a really good job. Um, it's broadened my understanding a lot. So I believe in 30 years, you'll wish that you would have been more gracious and more realistic and more forgiving with the way that you view your parents, particularly if you're 40 years old or younger. Um, so just consider that. Don't let that make you mad. Don't let that make you tap out and say, man, you don't understand my situation. I don't, uh, but I do understand what it's like to have unrealistic expectations at times and to not show grace and to not be forgiving. I know what that's like. Um, and so I'm just saying, um, press into that a little bit and don't be so easy to tap out, okay? After all, you're here. She did something really good at some level uh, or you wouldn't have made it, so... Uh, but anyway, today, all over the world, people are celebrating and honoring their mothers. And I acknowledge, though, that there are many who struggle on days like this. Um, this day isn't a celebration. You have uh, looked forward to this day with um, shame, with guilt, um, with a level of remorse, with some angst. Um, and that's unfortunate, but I acknowledge that. And to those who have given birth to their first child this year, man, we celebrate this with you, but we also mourn with those who lost a child this year. Um, to those who are in the trenches with little ones every day, they wear the badge of food stains and stretch marks, we appreciate your work. And to those who have experienced losses through uh, miscarriage or, or the frustration that comes with failed adoptions, we mourn with you today. And for all those who walk the hard path of infertility, burdened with the pokes and the prods and fears and tears and false hopes and disappointments, we walk with you and we pray. We pray for you, 
forgive us when we say stupid things. Uh, we don't mean to make it more difficult than what it is. To those who are foster moms, to those who are spiritual moms, for those who are mentor moms, we need you. We need you like never before. To those who have warm and close, for those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, who have heartache, who have distance with your kids, we sit with, we, we sit with you and we empathize with your heavy heart on days like this. To those who've lost their mothers or grandmothers for this year, we grieve with you. To those who have experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience and we're very sorry that this is part of your story. For those who've lived through driving tests and medical tests and the overall testing of motherhood, we're better for having you with us. We're better for having you in our midst today. And to those who are single, who long to be married and mothering your own children, we mourn that life has not turned out the way that you've longed for it to be so far. And we hope, we hope and pray with you. Those who step-parent, we walk with you on this complex and, and troublesome path. To those who have envisioned lavishing love on your grandchildren, that dream hasn't come to fruition yet. We grieve with you and wait along with you. To those who are going to have emptier nests this year, in the upcoming year, we grieve with you and we celebrate with you uh, for the days are ahead. To those who place their children up for adoption, we commend your selflessness and we remember how you hold that child so dear to your heart today. For those who have experienced an abortion, I'm sorry you had to experience that and we don't judge you. We're here to walk with you as you continue to live out your story. To those who are pregnant with new life, we, uh, we anticipate the joy of the birth of your child. Well, this is Mother's Day, and we want to walk with you. And it's not, mothering isn't for the faint of heart. Um, it's soldiers. They're real warriors. Mothers are strong. And we, we remember you, we acknowledge you, and we're thankful for you. And, but also, at the same time, if today's difficult for you to celebrate, I'm sorry. Um, I ask that you extend grace to me as I, I work to honor uh, mothers, all women, um, and I pray that you're encouraged through our time today. I'm grateful for the mothers that the Lord has given the Axis Church. I remember when my wife, Jill, was the only mother of the Axis Church. And then we had two mothers and then three mothers. And uh, for the longest time, we had like three moms uh, for years. And this morning, y'all, um, the first service experienced the joy of this. Uh, uh, somebody help me who was here. How many do we have dedicated? Was it like 9, 10, 11? It was crazy. How many? 10? 8? Okay. Well, that's a preacher exaggerating. Um, there were 16. Um, just um, but they were lined up from side to side, and it was just incredible to see all these, these new uh, children dedicated to the Lord, uh, praying over the parents, praying over the children. Uh, man, it's just spectacular to see um, all the wonderful women who are mothers um, 
And uh, I know there's many who desire to become mothers. My prayer is that um, all the mothers of the Axis Church and all women in general with us, that all of our women will live for the Lord Jesus Christ with obvious clarity so that everyone can see their progress of their hope and belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the fact is, we are much healthier and stronger when the ladies of our church family are growing in the gospel, walking in boldness and humility developing grit, uh, growing in their godliness, pressing through difficulties with their face set on the cross of Christ and their gaze focused on the, the glory of God at the throne of God in heaven, keeping this big perspective. And I pray for the ladies that you don't lose heart in the, on, on the process, that you humbly and consistently and courageously press into community and leadership in our community at large and also here at the Axis Church. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 31.30 that a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And it's a gift to God's, of God's grace for the Axis Church that we have many women who make up our church here that are praiseworthy. And it's proof that they don't like that idea of being known as praiseworthy because of their knowledge of themselves and their knowledge and humility of, the, of what Jesus has done for them. And we're blessed because of the ladies that the Lord has given to us. So thank you, ladies. Thank you, mothers, um, for, for being here. Well, that's, uh, I, I know, and I've said this, uh, I think last year, the year before, um, women deserve sound and solid theology, so I hope I can give that to you today. Um, I wouldn't be doing this, I wouldn't be giving you good theology, I don't think, if I made today about you. I want it to be for you in a way, but I want it to be about Jesus, uh, because women deserve good theology. So let's go to Luke chapter 6, and let's walk through just a couple verses here. Hope you've already found yourself there. We're going to be hanging out in 27 and 28. Um, we've, we've been here um, with the Sermon on the Mount for several weeks. Um, the first part of this, this Sermon on the Mount has to do with uh, the blessed are, the Beatitudes, and then the woe. Like, woe to you who, right? So the blessings and the woes. Well, the blessings and the woes have a lot to do with uh, his disciples' hearts towards, God, uh, towards uh, God, and now he's shifting a bit, and he's going to be teaching us through the rest of his sermon on what it looks like for his disciples to have their hearts focused on others. So the first part is not completely, but, but for the most part, focus on the disciples' relationship to God, and now we're going to see how that plays out in community and plays out with, with others, to other people. So let's look in Luke chapter 6 and read 27 and 28 together. He says, but I say to you who hear, those who are listening, uh, those who are learning, those who are trying to understand, those who are leaning in. So he's not just saying those who have ears, right? He's not just saying those who can, can hear the audible voice and the noise that I'm making with my mouth. No, it's, it's more of a heart thing. He's like those who are desiring to understand here, love your enemies, Love those who are hated, who are hating, and who are hostile. Love your enemies. And this is what it looks like. Do good to those who hate. Do correct. Do right. Do excellently towards those who hate you, who detest you, who disregard you, who slander you, who can't stand you. Speak well of those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who revile you, threaten you, mistreat you, continue to harass you, pray for those who abuse you. Well, now, right here at the get-go, many here are already um, rightfully uncomfortable with where we're heading in our time. Being mistreated, 
uh, being abused, being harassed. This brings up um, severe uh, anxiety-laced fears from many in the room. But now notice that Jesus tells us to pray for those who mistreat us. He says, do good to those right? He says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, but then pray for those who abuse you. You see, for, for many who experience physical abuse, being close to those who abuse you isn't what you need to do. And it's probably best to stay far away and get things worked out at a distance. Jesus says, pray. Pray for those who mistreat you in this way. You see, in such cases, we have a God-given responsibility to protect life, to preserve life, including our own. And so we've got to be wise in our response to abusive evil. There are times when loving our enemies, including in, in severe cases within our own families, it means praying for them at a, at a distance, at a safe distance. Now, with that said, we must continue to pray because there's no form of hostility that excuses us from Christ's command right here to love our enemies. No one is exempt from this. No one. But with this said, if you've been harmed physically or sexually, please don't be silent. Don't carry that by yourself anymore. Speak up and begin the healing process. Don't keep it to yourself. Please. You're not doing the wrong thing by bringing that into the light. You're doing the right thing. And I'm sorry that's part of your story. Here, whether it seems beyond our ability or not, Jesus calls us to love our enemies. And I've been thinking about it this week, since I knew this was the text, obviously, been studying it. This is probably the most difficult commandment that Jesus gave his disciples. It's perhaps the most difficult one to obey. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I'm not saying that's easy. But it makes more sense emotionally to try to go with that one when you know that he loves you. Right? Emotionally, it's more difficult to try to love your enemy. So in this way, I feel like this could be the most difficult command. You see, Jesus has just told his followers that they're going to be hated, that they're going to be rejected, that they're going to be persecuted, right, for his name. And now here, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to relate to those who are going to persecute them and kill them, destroy their lives, and ruin their families. Do we hate them? Do we hurt them? Do we harm them? Do we hide from them? Do we stay far away? Do we keep a distance? Do we retaliate? Jesus says, Love, love, and also do good and bless and pray for them. But like the religious of Jesus' day, you and I, we're often led to think that love is, is something that we owe only to our friends and, and our family. But Jesus here, he says, love your enemies. And this is a harder commandment, but it's based on a more powerful love. You see, there are several different words for love in the Greek language that we have in the New Testament. Jesus wasn't asking for love as in a natural affection, okay? He wasn't speaking of love that was of, of romantic nature, nor was he asking for the love of just a genuine friendship. Jesus was speaking of agape, agape love, which, which means love even of the unworthy who don't deserve it, who deserve it the very least. Love which isn't drawn out of the goodness of the one being loved, 
but only comes from the fact that the one who's choosing to love is doing so regardless of the other person. They're choosing to love. So in this way, agape is different from other loves. It's, it's, it's not natural. Agape love is unnatural. It only comes by the supernatural work of God in our hearts. Only through the Holy Spirit can you understand this depth of love. It's not romantic. It's not the kind of love that you drift into. You know, we talk about, you know, we, we fell in love when we were in high school. We fell in love when we were 25. You don't fall into agape love. Agape love isn't something that you fall into. It's the, it's the kind of love that the disciple chooses to step into in obedience to Christ. They choose to love in this way in response to being loved in this very way in and through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This love isn't just for friends. It's for enemies too. And Jesus called his disciples to show this deliberate affection for others that's not based on how well people deserve it, but that's based on something outside of what they've even experienced with this person. It's based in the grace of God. It's based in the love that God has for us. Now, you and I, we, have, we all have our enemies. Some of our enemies are, are more public, the, the twisted and, and wicked politicians who are constantly pushing ungodly legislation forward, or the, the reckless people that we see on the news who hits and harms and drives off, who so quickly and easily takes lives. Those who seek to destroy what's, what others have been working hard to build, terrorists who come and bring war and destruction. We've got public enemies. We also have personal enemies enemies, the heavy-handed boss, the scheming co-worker, the passive-aggressive or angry neighbor, the hostile spouse, the former friend who has grown distant because of a disagreement, perhaps those who have sexually and physically assaulted you, personal enemies. So I ask you to, this isn't a hypothetical, rhetorical question. I ask you to think through this Friend, who is your enemy? Who's the one person who you know doesn't deserve your love? You don't want to like them. You don't want to love them. Who is your enemy? Now, that's not a fun question to consider. Because it brings up a lot of stuff to the surface that we try to keep hidden. We try to keep it tucked away. But it's an important question to answer. Because whoever your enemy is, he or she is the person that Jesus Christ is calling you to love. Who is your enemy? Now, I know that for those who are raised in the church, this is perhaps more difficult to consider. Because unfortunately, in the church, We've been taught not to have enemies, that having enemies is wrong. And now at a certain level, I get it. Yes, that's right. We don't want to make enemies. But what we have inevitably taught in the local church is that it's not right to feel this way towards other people. And so as a result, we don't know how to process pain. We don't know how to process brokenness. We don't know how to process significant disappointment. We're just told that's wrong. You shouldn't feel that way. You shouldn't feel that way. That's not right. We feel guilty for this. So, well, do we have enemies? No, we don't have enemies. Having enemies will be wrong. If you've been raised in the church, this probably resonates, unfortunately. 
But church friends, be honest with your heart. Who is your enemy? Be honest with your story, with your pain, with your anger. It's okay. Who is your enemy? I want you to feel. I want you to feel this. You can't identify your enemy unless you're willing to open up and be honest with your feelings, with your past. You can't do what Christ is asking you to do here if you can't accept the fact that there's people in your lives that you consider enemies. Jesus is point blank here teaching us, his followers, that we must love all people, including enemies. And this love isn't just putting up with somebody. This love, it involves more than tolerance. This love involves and expresses itself in doing good, even when enemies are full of hate and hostile to us. He says, love. Well, what does this look like? Doing good, blessing, and praying. Love those who are considered enemies by doing good to those who hate you. Now, this has to do with our actions. So if if you're taking notes, you kind of want to write this out, like doing good is actions, all right? Doing good to those who have done bad to us. Doing good to those who have done wrong things to us. Action for action. Negative action to me, positive action to them. Do good to those who hate you. Actions. Now, he says, bless those who curse you. This has to do with our words, That means be gracious and loving with your words. They hate you with their words. You love them with your words. They're judgmental to you with their words. You be gracious to them with your words. Actions and words. Now, what seems to be the easiest is probably one of the more difficult ones because you can do good. You can say things and do things and your heart still be stone cold. He says, pray for those who harass and mistreat you and abuse you. Now that has to do more with our heart. God, would you be gracious to my enemy? God, would you be patient with my enemy? Would you, would you change their heart? Would you tenderize them? Would you make us friends again? Yeah, but they haven't asked my forgiveness for this. They haven't, they haven't acknowledged this. They haven't, like, God... Love them, redeem them, rescue them, and help my heart towards them. See, this is more of a heart issue here. But what Jesus is basically doing for us here is he's saying you have to triumph over evil, not with revenge, not with retaliation, but with good. Now, most of us in this room find it uh, hard enough to, to love our friends, right? Um, to, if we find it more difficult or as difficult to love our, our spouses and our families as our friends. And part of this is our desire for self-protection. Our desire for self-advancement is so strong that we often fail to love people who we say that we love. We fail to love them as well as we should. We're willing to help our family and friends up to a certain point, but we've got our limits. Uh, We want to give them good concern and care and love, but at the same time, we have to guard our time, we've got to guard our money, we've got to guard our emotional energy, and we simply don't have the constant, compassionate, sacrificial, perfect love of God that we're called to have. But if we can't even love our friends well, how on earth can we ever love our enemies? I mean, this is a problem. I feel stuck. 
I mean, Jesus, he taught his disciples to love this way because this is the way that God loves us. So when we love our enemies, we show that we are God's true children and we're living out what it is that we're experiencing from God. Because God is love and God shows kindness to evil, ungrateful people every day. He gives life and strength to all. He, he does it. Uh, he, he supplies life. He supplies uh, beauty and control through the universe that we get to experience and live in. He, he shows love by sending rain to the, to the ungodly and the godly. But God has showed his supreme, unique love in sending his son to die for the very people who hated him and rebelled against him. Salvation, the Christian salvation comes to them from the enemy loving heart of God. The enemy loving heart of God is where the hope of the Christian, where their salvation comes from. It's God, his enemy loving heart, who reconciles sinners. That's us, sinners to himself. Not good people, not well intentioned people, not people who try to be good, sinners. And you can read about our state as a sinner in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Dead, rebels, choosing our own thing in our own way, following the course of this world, following the evil one, the one of destruction, speaking of Satan. Yeah, that's how we're born, following him, following sin, the flesh and the devil, enemies, hating God, hating others. The Bible says in Romans 5.10 that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. And we get his son, and we all know this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. So we get his son because of his love for us. That while we were enemies, he reconciled us to God by the death of his son. His son being a gift to us out of love for us. Now, this amazing love is not just the love of the father that we see in sending the son, but it's also the love that Christ has for his bride, for his people. Jesus proved this love for us in his sufferings and his death when he endured the very things that he told his disciples they would have to endure. And when you really think about all this, this is an impossible task. And if you're honest and you're thinking through this, this seems undoable. This seems impossible. And so trying harder isn't an option. I'm not going to tell you to try harder to love your enemy and to do three good things to the person you hate this week, okay? That's not what I'm going to reduce it to. That would be more moralism. And then you would grade yourself and compare yourself to others. And that's legalism. And that just creates a lot of guilt, a lot of pride, okay? So that's not an answer. And so I can't work hard to convince you that you shouldn't retaliate because then you're going to be like, well, you just don't know my situation. So then it's going to put us at odds, okay? So that's not going to help us. So here's where the truth about Jesus and his gospel can work in us and for us, okay? The gospel isn't just something to believe, it's something to experience. It's something to experience. And as you experience it, it frees you. If you know the truth, the truth will set you free. John 8, 32 tells us this perfectly. And this is proof. As you believe the gospel, as you process the gospel, it goes to work in you and through you. It changes your heart in such a way that you're able to better respond now to your enemies. It's only the work of God. 
because it's right here when we realize that we are the enemies of God. This is where you start to love your enemies. Is in the gospel, you remember, you think back, you acknowledge you are God's enemy. You are his enemy. Romans 5, 8 says that God shows his love for us in that while we're still sinners and rebels choosing to do what we want to do, turning our back on anything that God ever wanted us to do, Christ died for us. God shows his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Remembering that Jesus hung, mutilated on the cross for us, that we are in our sin, we're the tormentors, we're the tyrants who are slapping Jesus, who are spitting in his face, who are mocking him, who are insulting him, who are caring less about his mom. We're, we're, we're torturing him, we're nailing him to a criminal's cross. We're completely refusing this gift of love that is our life, that is our joy, that is the source of our satisfaction, that is the true treasure of anyone who finds it, utterly refusing him. Oh, now wait, Jeremy, that's a little too far. I wasn't there, right? I read about this in history, but what do you mean? Like, this wasn't me doing these things to Jesus. Well, the truth is, friend, Scripture teaches us that it wasn't just the Pharisees. It wasn't just the, the religious. It wasn't just Roman soldiers who were torturing and murdering Jesus. Something else bigger and deeper and more significant was taking place. You see, the reason all this was happening was because it was part of God's perfect plan to love and rescue us. Now, who's us? His enemies. He was doing this for his enemies. He was punishing Jesus for the sins of, his, of the enemies of God, the sins that we've committed. He was emptying the full cup of wrath that his enemies, us sinners, that we deserve. Instead, he turns that not on us, but on Jesus, his son. What we deserve for our sin. This is what we deserve for. We deserve the cross. We deserve the cup of wrath. He takes it for us. He suffers for our rebellion. Though he was perfect, upright, kind, gentle, strong, and true his whole life. And we're none of those things. Not on our own. He took our place. He was mocked. He was hated. He was abused. He was cursed. He was whipped. They hung him on a cross. They took away his clothing. He suffered and, and, and he was left naked there on the cross. They stripped everything from Christ, even his dignity. He died with nothing. And even on the cross, he was abandoned by his father, which is what we all deserve because of our sin. In Luke 23, we have an eyewitness account of the way that Jesus responds in this very intense moment on the cross. All this hatred, all this cheering and applauding as the crucifixion of Jesus takes place. They rip his clothes off. They start throwing rocks. They start spitting. They start throwing salt and vinegar all over Jesus. Condemning him right in the presence of the mother. And what does Jesus say in return? In that very moment, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't get it. They don't understand. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. In that intense moment, you see what it looks like to love your enemy. 
our great sin, but the greater love that God has for us resulted in Jesus being killed on the cross. Friend, it was your sin that led Jesus to be betrayed by Judas. It was your sin that violated Jesus. It was your sin that humiliated Jesus. It was your sin that abused Jesus. It was ultimately your sin that killed Jesus Christ. In his agony, there he is on the cross, and he's loving you. He's forgiving you. He's not okay with you being his enemy. He's dying to make you his friend. So look at the cross, stare at the cross. There he is, Jesus making friends. The friendliest of all moments is the cross. That's the nicest anyone's ever been. He suffered to make you a friend. Friends, when the gospel takes root in us, it begins to work itself out through us. Now, those who have trouble with this idea, I encourage you to do two things. One, I want you to pray. Two, I want you to unleash the gospel in your heart. Let the gospel go to work. First, I want you to pray. This is often where change comes from. I mean, it's hard to stay mad at somebody when you're praying for them. As we pray, we begin to recognize that our enemies, they need the same thing we need. (laughs) They need forgiveness of their sins, and they need the Holy Spirit to help them live life better. They really do. That's exactly what we need. And there's not a rush on this. There's not a, there, you know, if you don't get your act together in five weeks or in a month or in two weeks, then you're not taking it serious. No, we're on a trajectory. The longer you live, the more you're going to understand trajectory. You're going to see, you know what? People can change. People don't remain the same. But to continue to try to move the ball forward every day in some way, seeking this reconciliation, praying for this to take place. And as, as we pray, it's going to give us more sympathy. It's going to give us more empathy for their situation as well as ours, enabling us to more freely love. So pray. And the other is let the gospel go to work. Now, loving those who don't love us, this is one area uh, where the gospel has to go to work in our lives, practically speaking, practically. Again, the gospel is not just to be believed, it's to be experienced, Okay. You see, Scripture assumes that if we have truly experienced God's love in the gospel, that we're going to be radically loving towards others. If you've experienced this great love, how can you have hate in your heart for someone else? When you understand your cosmic reconciliation between you and God and and how that sin that was brought there, the rebellion that we have there, and he reconciles us, if that can be separated, y'all, we've got nothing that we can't work through. Anything can happen. If we would humble ourselves, ask for God's help, and believe the gospel, anything can be reconciled. Anything. If you're on the verge of making a stupid decision, a foolish, life-changing decision, because you've been hurt, and I encourage you to think through these things right here. You can work through anything. Anything can be reconciled. By contrast, if we're hateful, if we're resentful, if we're bitter towards others, it's a sure sign that we're not living out of the deep joy and the freedom of the gospel. I'm not saying it doesn't mean that you're a Christian. I'm just saying that you're missing out on something wonderful that every Christian should experience. And you haven't unleashed the gospel to the depths of your heart yet. And it's there. And we, we, we honestly, we can't do what we're called to do here. There's no way, not genuinely, not consistently, not continually, we can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit can do this work in our hearts to produce this. So I ask you to pray for this. Don't be okay with the way that things are. 
Don't just say, well, you know what? Things are just this way between me and my mom or me and my neighbor or me and my husband or me and my wife or me and my kids or whatever. You, you know your enemies. You know the ones that you're having trouble and struggle loving. Don't be content with just saying it's always gonna be this way. It's not. Like I said, me and my mom, we've had some trouble. And things aren't great. Things aren't perfect. No, no relationship is. You, you gotta have a realistic expectation. We're people. We're gonna make mistakes. We're not gonna do things perfectly. Let's dig deep to the gospel. Let's press in. Let's have a trajectory of change and maturity and grace. That's how you make the world a better place. Not through government, not through policy, not through money. It's through genuinely loving people that it doesn't make sense to love. That, extending that grace, extending that forgiveness. You wanna change Nashville? You, you wanna help the racial reconciliation? It's gonna be stepping into humility, intentionally taking on forgiveness, ex intentionally extending forgiveness, being gracious with one another, beginning to love each other. This is where joy in marriage comes from, not based on a feeling. What kind of, what kind of feeling are you expecting in marriage? Feeling wears off. I mean, honestly, it's about committing. You're committed. 67 years that I've watched my grandpa, the last 10 years, my grandma has done nothing, hasn't even looked at him. Talk about a feeling. He should have tapped out 10 years ago, right? Playing to your logic, right? That's what our culture tells us. When your needs are no longer being met, sorry, y'all, it's a little, a little heated this morning. When your needs are no longer being met, you tap out, right? So we don't develop grit, we don't develop perseverance, and we don't know what celebrating 50 years is gonna be like. We don't know what celebrating 67 years is gonna be like. We don't know what it's gonna be like to press in through difficulties and develop community, even in the local church. I get my feelings hurt, my feathers get ruffled, I move on. You know why? Because that's gonna be better over there. This relationship's gonna be better. This one's not gonna disappoint me. That one's not gonna disappoint me. Friend, you're gonna be disappointed. It's on you how you're gonna navigate that disappointment. You can't base it on a feeling. Boston told us a long time ago, more than a feeling. That's an old group, okay. <clears throat> that was horrible, okay. <clears throat> I'm sorry. We'll have to edit that out. All right. Um, that's just what came to my mind. I'm ADD. I see a squirrel. I have to go, okay? So only, only Jesus can bring about this true and lasting heart change that's here. It's not going to come through you trying harder. It's not going to come from you trying two or three things differently this week. You have to call out to God for this work in your heart, which means you've got to pray for it and you've got to pursue it. You've got to pray for it and you've got to pursue it. Pursue healing. Don't be okay to sit back in your pain. Don't, don't be okay growing bitter and angsty as you get old. You want to be a fun, older person? Learn to forgive and to love your enemies when you're young. Otherwise, you're going to be just an angry, old, bitter person. Well, I'm not going to be that way. Unless you learn to forgive, unless you learn to love your enemies, yes, you will. It changes you. Bitterness changes you. Pursue healing, pursue love. Don't be okay with the way that things are. Don't be satisfied. Ask God to help you in this way. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who harass you, mistreat you, and abuse you. Well, Christian, it's time for us to remember and consider and celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us 
by sharing in communion. Christian, this is a very special time for you as we remember the love of God, the love of God that you've personally experienced through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Friends, it's the cross where we learn to love our enemies. It's at the cross, okay? The cross is where we were his enemies that Jesus died to forgive. So loving our enemies as we've been told to love, as we've been receiving this love from our triune God, it's not a commandment that we could ever keep. We couldn't do this out of our own strength, out of our own efforts. In order to keep it, we must stay close to the cross, remembering, remembering. In order to not hate but love our enemies, we must remember and we must hold fast to the love that we know Christ Jesus showed us on the cross. I believe that part of the reason that God's calling us to love our enemies like this is so that we can be more aware of the sin of our own loveless hearts at times and we can learn the true power of the love that comes only from God. I mean, Jesus lived out what he commanded. He gives the love now to us that he lived. So remember this morning, remember how you've been loved. It's often when we forget how we've been loved that we find it difficult to love others. You've been so loved by God. You've been forgiven so much. Think of this when you think of loving others. So now take time to remember. Remembering is at the very heart of communion. So for those who have personally experienced the saving grace of God and the love of God through Christ, we're gonna remember his work for us through communion. Let's approach the table this morning with humility, being utterly blown away that God loves us. That doesn't make sense. Be blown away that God loves you. Be blown away at what Jesus did for you. And be so thankful that the Holy Spirit is in you, teaching you these things, teaching you how to love. So the bread that we're gonna take is symbolic of the, the body of Christ. It represents the fact that he lived for us. And the juice or the wine that we have is symbolic of the, of the blood of Christ that represents his death as us. These things working together for our salvation. These things provided because God loved us. Friend, you are so loved. So as you take, dip, and taste this morning, remind yourself the truth of the gospel. Remind yourself just how much you are loved as you take communion this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you, Lord, for your radical enemy-loving compassion and care for us. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for loving us through being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Spirit, thank you for loving us by providing yourself and your strength uh, for us, in us, to help us do what it is that we're being asked to do here. Lord, to be able to continue on a, a healthy trajectory of loving others and showing compassion and being gracious, Lord, with others, regardless of how they treat us. And Lord, now for, for our church family and their friends, Lord, I, I ask that you would uh, give us grit and perseverance in this, because I know that when we do this, there's going to be hostility, that things are going to get worse before they get better. Lord, I ask for us to be able to persevere through this regardless of people's response to us trying to love them differently. Lord, help us not shut down. Help us not just say, see, I told you so. Help us not just go back into a dark corner. Lord, help us to continue to love regardless of how we're received. Lord, this is what our church needs. This is what our city needs. This is what our country needs. This is what our world needs. This is what I need. This is what we need. 
Lord, help us. This is how you loved us. You were rejected, yet you continue to love. You were misunderstood, but you continue to love. You were killed, but you continued to love. I just imagine after your resurrection, your disciples had all left at your death. After your resurrection, I just imagine it being complete joy to be with them because you weren't holding their sin of unbelief against them. You were loving them. You'd made them your friends. Lord, this just blows us away, and it's hard for us to do this. So, Father, we, we admit that we can't, and or we admit that we need your help because some of us are just so cold and, and disconnected, apathetic, maybe even hateful towards so many. And it's going to take a lot of work for us to even get to the place where we even care about the other person, let alone try to love them. Friend, if that's your heart, I just ask you to, to tell God that. And that, admit that if this is going to happen, it's going to have to be all him. Because the truth is, that's the only way this can happen. So Father, hear these prayers. Reconcile, redeem. Lord, please, help us. And now I ask that you add your special blessing to this time of remembering you. Thank you for the love that you've shown to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This audio is from the Axis Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and is part of our sermon series from the Gospel of Luke, Learning the Real Jesus. For more information, please visit theaxischurch.org.